everybody, and welcome back to the Broadway Jets podcast. You'll know me from Twitter as NYJ Mike, and I'm joined as always by my co host and the president of memes of Jets Twitter. It's NYJ Matt. Welcome, everyone. We're back, episode two. We're ready to go. Want to thank you guys all a lot for the support on the first episode. Mike and I had an idea of like a rough estimate of what we thought we were going to have with, you know, ratings and views and downloads, but completely blown out of the water compared to what we thought we were going to have. So thank you again a lot. If you are listening and want to subscribe and rate five stars, we would really appreciate it. If not, all good. Sit back, relax. We have an awesome interview lined up right after this with Michael Nania. So with that, we'll head over to that interview now. Well, we'd like to welcome on a very special guest. It's Michael Nania, the Nania Mania. I actually thought it would have been Michael Nania, but it's Michael Nania. Yep, it, it is confirmed. Nania. It, I've heard all the pronunciations you could probably come up with. <laughs> oh, my God. So Michael Nania, he runs – he's a co-owner of Jets X Factor. I'm going to give my pitch for Jets X Factor because – I think the way that I use Jets X Factor is like the perfect way to do it. So first, you know, you have Joe Blewett's breakdowns. Awesome. Joe Blewett, great follow on Twitter. Then you got Robbie Sabo over in training camp. He has credentials. Robbie Sabo is providing us with, you know, live updates. He's given us film. He's given us breakdowns. He's pretty much a beat writer. He's really good. And then you have Michael Nania, you know, I'm arguing with a, a Giants fan, let's say, for example, and they're telling me Daniel Jones is better than Sam Darnold. I go, but how about this? Look at this stat that Michael Nanning has just put out that Sam Darnold, you know, has a 95.3 rating when throwing between the 26 and 30 yard line on the left hash in a day game in October <laughs> while he's wearing the same color pants and shirt mm-hmm. with more than 0.8 seconds to throw the ball. That's what I need. I need yeah. those stats. And Michael Nania provides it. You know, that, that's, that's, it's, it's huge. It's huge. I appreciate it. And I think you put it <laughs> perfectly just to have that big three of us. And also, Ben, uh, on Cool Your Jets, he does a great job co-hosting uh, that podcast with me. But uh, the way you put it out is perfect. Joe on the film. Robbie has film also. And he's on the beat every day. Uh, and my ridiculous stats. And it's funny you mentioned the – uh, the uniform because I've literally posted that exact stat about um, how he's played with the same color jersey and pants. So all, all the ridiculous stuff that we need to win debates against the Josh Allen and Daniel Jones people. We absolutely need it. Do you want to give us a little bit of a look into how you guys got started over there at Jets X Factor? Yeah. So I wrote with, uh, well, for Robbie at Elite Sports New York, which he used to run. Uh, and he wanted to do a uh, Jets only site. So he approached me with the idea and I was all game for it. Uh, and, and we started working on it really early this year um, is when we uh, first started building it. He came to meet the idea. Uh, and then in March is when we launched it. So uh, it's, it's, it was nonstop work to get it going. It's been nonstop work since. Uh, and it's just a lot of fun to do, uh, to really be entirely jets focus all the time because yeah. you know, I was doing some general NFL stuff. He was focusing on all New York teams. So to just be focusing on the jets is really awesome. And it's how we've been able to do so much amazing jets focused stuff. Yeah. And going off of Mike said, you know, we built, like we started our personal accounts. We were going through jets, Twitter, and we saw a lot of negativity. A lot of people that were having takes that they honestly had no idea what they were talking about. Yeah. So we saw your account and we're like, this kid knows what he's doing. He's smart, and every opinion he has is fact-based, and he isn't always negative. So a big inspiration of Mike and I creating both of our accounts came from the work that you guys were doing. So big props to you guys. We do have ridiculous hypothetical questions for you and some serious ones to go into training camp. But starting off, right, you're locked in a film room. You have to watch a breakdown of every play from Kyle Wilson's entire career or write a 50-page article on why Tremaine Johnson was the best New York free agent signing of all time. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, so I think with, with Kyle Wilson, so I have to watch every single play of his Jets career. That's the mm-hmm. stipulation. Mm-hmm. Yep. Five years worth. 
That would be tough. That would be pretty tough. But I think you could get some laughs from that with his finger wags after, you know, just the receiver <laughs> dropping a pass after, after he gets posted. <laughs> so there would be some comedy to be had there. But 50 pages on Tremaine Johnson. Maybe if I made the font size like 200, I could get through that pretty quickly. So I'd probably – if I can increase the font size on that Tremaine Johnson paper, I could rip through that very quickly. So I didn't hear that there was a restriction on that. So I'm going to go with the Tremaine Johnson article. Uh, I like an it. Old, an old college trick. Finding the increase, loophole. Increase the period size to like 24 and save yourself an hour. All right, let's go. Uh, how about this, Michael and Nania? How much do you hate the movie Narnia? <laughs> Yeah, I've heard those puns plenty. I've actually never seen it, but I get the pun a lot. So having not seen it, it also does make it more annoying. Actually pretty good. I saw it in theaters. Fun fact. But a real question. Uh, a couple of big training camp battles uh, with the Jets this year. We have George Fant and Chuma Idoga with the right tackle spot. And then we have Arthur Mollette versus Bless Austin. For looks like they're competing for the number one corner, uh, the number two corner spot. Of course, Brashad Perryman had that seventy-five to eighty-yard touchdown yesterday against Mallette. It was kind of a weird play when they showed the video. Uh, I don't know. Maybe Robbie actually leaked that video. But what what do you think? What are you looking at that with with Fant versus Idoga, and then with uh, Mallette versus Bless Austin? Yeah, well, with the right tackle spot, I feel like in the beginning of the offseason we kind of assumed there would be a battle there, and it doesn't doesn't seem like there is much of a battle. I feel like Fant is kind of penciled into it. But Idoga is interesting because if he can develop and fulfill the potential that they thought he had when they took him in the third round last year, that's big. That's how you build championship teams, drafting and developing your own talent. And uh, Fant, I feel like at this point, he's 28 years old, and he does have untapped potential because he's only started and finished 18 games at tackle in his career. So he really only has the experience of about a second-year player in terms of starting. So there is potential with him, but Idoga being only 22 years old last year, um, was thrown in earlier than the Jets probably intended for him to be, uh, had to switch between left and right with all the injuries. So even though he struggled, he was dealt a really tough hand, and I think he showed some progress throughout his last few starts. So I like Idoga's potential, and if he can take that spot from Fant and establish himself, as a long-term starter, that's a big win. Anytime you can get that from any position. Uh, but I do think Fant is going to start out as the starter. But we know injuries happen. He's dealt with injuries before. So at some point, Idoga should get his chance. And if he can take a big leap, that'd be huge. But uh, at cornerback, I'm a huge fan of Bless Austin. What he did yes. last year, mm, um, yes. considering everything he went through, didn't practice till October, uh, was thrown in in the middle of that Giants game. Um, he's coming off of two ACL surgeries. The Jets have no pass rush. The, the, the secondary is a mess. And he just comes right in and plays really well for a few games. He did finish cold. Uh, he talked today. Um, they had the video out. He talked about his benching against the Steelers, how that motivated him. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that could – I was on Greg for that move, benching him so quickly. But it could be a sneaky genius move to kind of light that fire under him. I was going to ask you, yeah, about that, the benching, because – it seemed a little premature. I mean, the yeah. guy played good football for four, five, six weeks, and then he gets benched. You know, he let up the long touchdown at the end of the first yeah. half in the Steelers game. Yeah. Didn't play all that much in the Buffalo game. Um, and then, similarly, Arthur Mollette got beat in practice, like I just referenced to, got benched. Is that going to be a common theme? Is, you know, Greg Williams going to play the – you know, one strike in your out card, or is he just trying to teach these young guys a lesson? Because I kind of hope it's the latter. Yeah, it's a tough rope to walk. I don't think you want to be too uh, like too hard on them to the point where you're just benching left and right. There, there's de that's definitely something you don't want to do. But at the same time, I think there can be, you know, like we're seeing with Bless, it seems like his entire offseason was just really kicked up a notch by that one benching. Mm -hmm. uh, struggled in that first half against the Steelers, made that very bad mistake at the end of that half and then didn't play in the rest of that game or against Buffalo. So uh, it really seems like it has kicked up his motivation quite a bit. So in that way, it can be beneficial, but you also don't want to be too hard to where you're just benching for every single mistake. But um, I do think bless is going to take that starting spot. 
next to Desir. Uh, I like Millet as depth. He's a good tackler and run defender, but in coverage, he doesn't bring too much in terms of But he of wears cool stuff. He wears like wrist <laughs> the arms. Yeah, yeah. I, I was confusing him with Jamal so much. <laughs> yes, every, and he wears 23. So yeah, it's... he has the, the 23 looks almost yeah. like 33. He has all the bands. I was confusing him with Jamal, but you know. <laughs> At least he's loyal to the Jets, unlike him. But oh, yeah. uh, I do like him as as depth. But I think Austin has a lot of upside as a, a starter, especially in this defense. I think he's a great fit uh, in the the cover three, the Tampa two that Greg was playing a lot. I think uh, Bless is a great fit in that. Yeah, hopefully if they can get some pressure, and then you know the Jets have some good young cornerback depth with Nate Harrison and and Quincy Wilson and Bryce Hall. So we'll see how that plays out uh, going forwards. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, we, another question we had, um, one of my favorite things that you work on is the Darnold grades. So going through every Darnold game, play-by-play, play, and giving a score, if you could go take any player from Jets history and get unlimited game tape every play, is there a specific player that you would go back and want to break down the game that they played? Well, there's one guy who – there is plenty of tape on him, but his prime years, 2009, 2010, there really isn't – uh, for Darrell Revis is the guy I want to go back and because there are so many great numbers on how dominant he was against all these star players. Uh, and there are plenty of highlights, but the all 22 film, I don't think you can get until 2011. Mm. Uh, so his pr- two prime years, 2000, you, you might have it for 2010, but I know you can't for 2009, but uh, I really want to go back and see just him locking up, even when he's not getting the ball thrown his way. Uh, so they don't have it for 2009. That would be great to see. Uh, but throughout Jets history, I think Namath would be really interesting to look at because he's a guy who I think a lot of people kind of get on for his interceptions, even though in that era, interceptions were just a lot more common. So the fact that he threw that many wasn't actually as bad as it seems. So I feel like if you can look at his film, you could really appreciate how unique he was for that era, how ahead of the, his time he was. Uh, so I think those two, Revis is prime, uh, and then Joe Namath. At least we could go back and watch every Revis play, even if it's not all 22. Yeah. But it's so funny you mentioned 2009 is so, so dominant. You put out a, a bunch of pieces about it, but the best yeah. stat, 31 passes defended is a record. I believe the next highest is like 27 that's been yeah. recorded. I think they started counting that stat in 1999. And it's funny because 2010, Revis was an all-pro he only played 13 games, had no interceptions. Yep. All pro, 2011, all pro, even we have the all 22. But 2009 is just a different animal. And then the Joe Namath stuff, you know, you look at any quarterback from that time period. They're playing in the mud. They play the the T formation. Everyone wants to run the ball. Joe Namath does an 11-step drop and throws a 68-yard bomb to Don Maynard. It's like the fucking field goal post is in the field. It's yeah. ridiculous. So, uh I mean, at first, at first glance, you look at Joe Namath's stats, and it's a little bit deceiving. Is is you know obviously the case, and it's been more deceiving recently now that every guy and their mother throws for four thousand yards. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. And I think the biggest thing is with interceptions. Just that number has gone down every single year. Quarterbacks are throwing fewer and fewer interceptions. So the further back you look, the worse quarterbacks appear to be with their turnovers. But with Namath, he. I believe he was above average with throwing fewer picks than the uh, the league did at that point. But with in terms of yards and everything, he was just way ahead of his time. So that would be interesting. But what you mentioned with the field goal post being on the, the goal line, every time I see these highlights, I'm, I just don't understand how they could play that way. How do you run uh, – if you're on the goal line, how do you run a power play up the middle with that goal post there? That is just so weird. Just don't put the goal post in the field. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't I get understand. it. You could run plays around the goalpost being there to set a pick on your defender. Like it's pretty sure. crazy looking back on it. Yeah, yeah it we'd have to. Wild. We would have to hear about Jimmy Graham boxing out on the goalpost. Oh my god! And now we're gonna have to hear about Chris Hogan playing lacrosse every game. Oh, that was also funny. So you put up an art immediately. We were talking about this, Matt and I. We're like, oh, dude, Chris Hogan, like, good move. You know, doing all the whatever. Had six hundred fifty yards this year. He had. Couple 120 yards in Super Bowl 52, whatever. And then we go, oh, let's look and see what Michael Nania put. And you put a fucking video of him blocking in like <laughs> the third quarter of a Dolphins Patriots game. <laughs> We're cracking up. Where the hell do you find that? And, <laughs> it's so ridiculous. And now with Kevin White 
being rumored, right? He's coming to camp tomorrow to, to try out. If we sign Kevin White, are we going to get a breakdown of the 25 catches he's had in his career of what might come if, if the Jets end up getting him? Yeah, I mean, Kevin White, there's not too much to look at. You could go through all of his catches in two minutes. But, I mean, yeah, with, with Chris Hogan, you mentioned the block. I mean, that's kind of uh, – I think that sums up what I do with my account pretty well. You know, I'm bringing up all these random blocks. I mean, one time I was posting uh, clips of Harvey Lange blocking on kickoff returns. Yes, So I'm, I'm scraping the bottom of the, uh, bottom of the barrel. Dude, then, I gotta, then I got to go in my group chat. I'm telling my friends, I'm like, guys, Harvey Langy, like underrated bubble player, whatever. <laughs> like, yeah. Pulling up these ridiculous <laughs> stats. But Kevin White and Brashad Perryman, former first-round wide receivers for the Jets. Uh, but yeah, so I, I guess they couldn't have Josh Doxson, so they had to get another former first-round bust to see if they can get something out of him. But, I mean, injuries with Kevin White have been the big thing. Yeah. He really hasn't gotten to play. So, I mean, it's a worthy wild card. Worth a shot. Sam yeah. Darn will see how his arm strength develops if he can throw the ball to Rwanda across the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, but speaking of obscure nonsense, I'm very curious. I'm a big stat guy myself. I, I, I feed off of statistics. I'm very interested in certain players. I'm wondering if you have a favorite obscure season slash favorite obscure stat. Like, for example, to, to preface it, I love the 2014 Jets. I love everything about it. You know, obviously we went four and 12 sucks, but Michael Vick, Percy Harvin, Chris Johnson, you know, the last year of Rex, like you look back, you don't see a lot of those highlights. You have Jaquan Jarrett winning defensive player of the week, weird shit like that happening. I'm curious if you have another similar season that you like like that and maybe a favorite obscure stat. I think that the 2018 special teams were just ridiculous. Every part of that unit was amazing. Andre Roberts, who was never really anything special, scored three touchdowns and had a bunch of other great returns. Jason Myers, who was terrible. And I was actually tweeting a lot about how I didn't want the Jets to go with him, how they were going to regret that. And then he is a Pro Bowl season. (laughs) Coverage was great. So those special teams were fantastic. And you look at throughout the decade, there are bits and pieces where if you can combine parts of different teams together – you could have a great Jets team. If you took that 2018 special teams, uh, the defense from 2015, or no, if you took the offense from 2015, special teams this year, or 2018, and the defense from 2019, I think that's one heck of a team. So they've had some decent pieces here and there that just have to put it all together at once. Yeah, no, that got me hyped thinking about that team. I'm going to have to recreate that team, Matt, and try to run it back. (laughs) But um, one thing, too, with going back to Darnold grades, do you look back at a game and you think to yourself, you know, game ends, a lot of people were down on Darnold. Darnold played all right. And then when you go back and go through the entire film, you realize that, you know, offensive line, drop passes, other things maybe got in the way. What do you think is the most underrated game Darnold has played through his first 26? Yeah, those things show up so much. When you're watching it live, you miss really – you miss a ton of things. The pressure affecting throws, drops, receivers not getting open, play calls where there just wasn't an option for the quarterback to go to. Uh, and then also negative things too, where he could have made, uh, he probably should have checked the ball down when he was aggressive, things like that. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of things you miss when watching it live, especially because most plays don't get replayed. So you can't even see the route concepts. But the most underrated game this year was I think the Bengals game, he made some really good throws in that game that people just kind of forgot about because, uh, you know, the Jets were, you know, halfway through that game, you felt like you were already depressed at that point. And you erased all that from your memory. But he made some really good throws, especially in the intermediate range. A lot of them to Robbie. Uh, The Jets had a lot of drops in that game. Protection was penalties in that game, too. Yes, the penalties, too. Uh, Yeah. I think they had like eight offensive penalties in that game. So the support was terrible, but he made a lot of really impressive throws in that one. The Ravens too is an underrated game. His stats weren't great in that one, but uh, he had some of his best throws of the season in that game under a ton of pressure on prime time against a great defense. So those two really stand out. And, and being in the second half too, he had some really productive games, uh, especially that three game stretch, with the giants red uh, the 34 the football team. Yeah, and <laughs> the uh, and the Raiders. So he had the great numbers there, but then he also had the Bengals and the Ravens, where I think mm-hmm. he was a lot better than the box score said. Uh, and then last year in his rookie season, 
I think I think the Patriots game in Week 17 is kind of underrated. Mm. Stats were not good in that one, but uh, again, he had some really good throws that got dropped uh, and had uh, had some solid throws that didn't. Put he had up that one throw to Deontay Burnett, right? Yeah, he had a couple really good throws to Burnett in that one that you know didn't put up the biggest numbers, but they were great on the run throws. Uh, so I think those ones stand out the most. Also, the um, the Week Two game against Miami in 2018. Uh, well, I mean, he did put up a lot of yards in that game, but yeah. his one touchdown and two picks mm-hmm. lowered his passer rating. But second half in that game, he was really good. So yeah. those ones stand out the most. And that game we were we were at, right? And we were looking ahead to Cleveland the following week. Herndon yeah. dropped a tough ball that game. And you look back, Powell's touchdown. But to your point, you know, threw for over 300 yards, being 21 years old in the second game. Josh Allen may or may not have thrown for over 260 <laughs> in his career yet. Oh, but also that's that's the game. Chris Hearn didn't drop the touchdown. He just went down at the one yard line with like three seconds left in the second quarter. There was a drop no pass that was like a forty yard pass. Yeah. On he might have also dropped it. Yeah, don't yeah. remember that play. Yeah, that he end. had that really. Uh, Darnold made a great scramble to the left. He floated over the linebacker. Herndon dropped it. Uh, mm-hmm. That was not Herndon's best moment there, but obviously he rebounded from yeah. pretty well. I remember once Herndon season. caught that. Uh, he caught that like juggling catch in the Colts game. Yeah, on down the left sideline, that kind of changed his season. Yeah, that got him going. From that point on, he was uh, pretty good, really good for the rest of the season for uh, a rookie. Oh, and I'm looking at the 2018 Week 17 box score, the Patriots Jets game. So obviously, the Patriots won the Super Bowl in 2018, and Donald has Elijah McGuire and D'Angelo yeah. Henderson, Deontay Burnett, Andre Roberts, Jordan Leggett, like JJ Jones. Ugh. Oh my God. Just <laughs> no. Poor Sam. But, uh, man, I really like your answer to the uh, my obscure team question. <laughs> I'm super – I'm like – I'm feeding off that, man. The 2015 <laughs> Jets offense is – it really bothers me because if the Jets made the playoffs in 2015, and I talk about this all the time on my Twitter, who the hell knows what would happen because yeah. the playoffs that year was nothing. It was Peyton Manning was decrepit. Yeah. The Bengals were 12-4, and four and Andy Dahlman was out. The Patriots were clearly beatable. We beat them in week 16 that year. I mean, there was not much there. We can make a Super yeah, Bowl run. There was a path. They would have played the Bengals, who are – they just don't win playoff games. And, and they should have won that game. That's the game where they got the late penalties with stupid Pac-Man Jones. Yeah, right. Uh, uh, and also the Broncos, even though uh, they did go on to win the Super Bowl, they were a beatable team, especially for, you know, a Jets team that had a defense that, you know, could have won, you know, a gritty 17-10 to 10 game against them I think they had the run game to go on the road that season uh, with Chris Ivory and an offensive line that was decent still had uh, mangled and brick at the end of their careers Carpenter was good at that point Uh, so they could have made a run for sure and like you said they beat New England almost beat them in that first game in Foxborough that's the last time they didn't get absolutely destroyed in Foxborough I can't believe they've gone there four times in a row and had zero chance at any point in any of those games (laughs) <laughs> Actually, no, I can totally believe it. It's always can, been bad circumstances. Well, the, last year we should not have gotten killed. I know, yeah, because they came to us when we had Luke. No, no, we were, no, we were we in were, New England. Yeah, of course, you have no chance in that game with Jamal's pick six. Covered uh, we, the the spread. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> unreal. Well, I was gonna follow up, so I was gonna ask you a different question, but I'm curious of your thoughts on this. More, a, a more disappointing season, 2011 or 2016. I think 2016 was really disappointing. I had high hopes going to that season. I thought, you know, I thought Forte was like a great pickup for what he did in the passing game. Uh, Quincy broke out, especially how it started in that first game against the Bengals. Six sacks. All those sacks. The defense was living up to the hype. Um, you know, they got off to a fast start in offense. It reminds you a lot of the Bills game this year. Mm, Losing yeah. by one point, season opener, lots of yeah. hype. Uh, very, very reminiscent of this one. But that season was – also, and also the second game, they really rebounded against Buffalo. What Fitzpatrick, that was game, Fitzpatrick's yeah. best game with the Jets, I think. He was just ridiculous. Quincy made a bunch of catches. So that season was very disappointing, but 2011 – I think that at that point, we still thought the Jets were a Super Bowl team. And in 2016, you know, we were still hoping to just get into the playoff picture. But 2011, even though that team was much better than the 2016 team, not making the playoffs at all was disappointing coming off of 
two straight title game appearances. So I'd go 2011, but 2016, I had high hopes. That that season was really bad. I think that's a very well-answered question. Yeah, 2011 sucks, especially because, you know, week, week 16, you're playing the Giants on Christmas Eve. You know, that changed the history of football. If the Jets win that yeah. game, you know, you got the early Josh Baker touchdown. You know, you lock it in. But yeah. <laughs> if the Jets win that game and the Giants, it changes the history of of sports it changed the history of everything yeah and that season was so up and down it was two wins three losses three wins two losses just alternating streaks so annoying and and even with all the losses they still were eight and five before that last three game stretch yeah they killed the stupid like tyler Thigpen led chiefs (laughs) yeah yeah Uh, they had they had some nice they had some fun games that season but the losses were as fun as those wins generally were especially the season opener which i was at against Dallas. Uh, As fun as those wins were, the losses were annoying that season. The Eagles game. Yeah. We'll we'll go one or two more questions. Make sure you get that draft lottery. Good luck with the number one pick for the Knicks. But one thing that I found (laughs) on Twitter today, about an hour ago, was Jeff Darlington in 2019 tweeted, a Jets-Gates marriage would be intriguing for both sides. The number one comment on that tweet is Michael Nania saying, no, it wouldn't. So looking back on it <laughs> and, and going now to current time, you know, I don't yeah. think Mike and I are as tough on Gates as many, but we are not huge fans of Gates at all. The one point that killed us was the second and long runs that felt Too like... Too much. Wait, yeah. And you put out a great stat comparing teams that run on second and long. And looking at Gates as a, you know, as a whole picture... What does he have to go this year for you to be comfortable with bringing him back? Or what Darnold progress do you need to, to bring him back? Because, you know, 90% of the fan base are anti-Gase right now. Yeah, that's hilarious that you brought that up. I was definitely not a fan of bringing him in uh, before they did. And I'm still not a fan. But at the same time, I think uh, a lot of, like you said, most fans are just zero on him, have no mm-hmm. confidence whatsoever. And I'm definitely not there because – you know, he has, you know, what he dealt with last year, I just don't think any coach could have really overcome losing your starting quarterback for three games with a ridiculous ailment that you can't predict, the injuries they had to face, um, how bad the offensive line was. I don't think there's much he could have done, but at the same time, there are things that, uh, regardless of all that, he can do better. Like you said, the, uh, the second and long runs, just uh, his down and distance play calling was not good. It was unconventional but in a bad way because it was going against the strengths of his team uh he the jets ran at the third highest rate on second and 10 plus the only two teams that ran more than them were the ravens and the vikings those two teams can run the ball they can get you into third and short uh with their o-lines their talent running back the jets couldn't do that last year with how bad their o-line was but he still stubbornly ran the ball in second and long uh, he threw the ball in third and short a lot, even though they actually were pretty decent running the ball in third and short. So uh, he just has this tendency to try to do the opposite of what the other team's thinking, just outsmarting himself when he really should be making simpler decisions that are more aligned with what his team is doing well and what they're not doing well. And he just uh, is too stubborn with doing unique things, even though it doesn't actually yield positive results. So I think he needs to do a lot better with that simplifying things, playing to the strength of his roster. Uh, And Darnold is most important. Uh, You would like to see the whole offense be good, but uh, there still are a lot of holes that they need to fill long-term. Wide receiver, outside, even though they are improved there, can get better. Offensive line still has work to do. Uh, So as much as you'd like to see the whole offense be good, I think it's mostly about Darnold. Can he get to an an unquestioned franchise quarterback level after the season? Doesn't mean he has, has to be an MVP candidate, or a top five quarterback, but can he be unquestionably, this is our guy. Can he come out of this season thinking that? And if you can, if you can do that and the season doesn't go completely off the rails, there's progress. Um, then I think you can feel okay with Gase going forward. But I think the, the worst thing would be to go with him into next season in this state where you're kind of in purgatory where you're like, okay, he did enough to move on, but he's also, he didn't show enough to where you feel like you can win a Super Bowl with him, then you're in a really tough spot. A lot of teams get into that position. The Jets did with Bowles where it's like, all right, we won five games in 2017. That's great. But does that really show us he can win a Super Bowl? 
it doesn't. So uh, hopefully he does enough with Darnold to where, okay, this is a great quarterback coach combo that you can win championships with. This is an offense that you get a few more pieces. There's a formula in place. There's again, a quarterback coach pairing that with a few more pieces, it can be elite on a consistent basis. Uh, and this is a culture that, like Joe Douglas, has been trying to build. It's a culture you can feel confident in, uh, regardless of the things we've heard about Gaze, with players not wanting to play for him, all those things. Can he squash some of those questions? That's important. So uh, biggest thing is Darnold. Hopefully you can go into next season feeling confident about him and Gaze being a championship caliber duo, caliber duo uh, mm-hmm. long term. Yeah, the only thing I'll say about that is well said. I hope that Adam Gase takes the reins off. I hope he unleashes Sam. And in the sense that in the last, so the Jets famously finished six and two last year in the last yeah. eight games. <laughs> it seemed like Gase was trying to win games like 17 to 10, 21 to 14. Like, and he was working, you know, he's yeah. playing against a little weaker schedule, but take the reins off, unleash this guy. And let's see what the hell happens because, you know, I don't know if we're going to – I don't think – like you said, we have to get to a place where we're going to have a great quarterback-coach uh, combo. And right now, it feels like I need Gase to step on the gas. Let's let's fucking go. What do we have to lose? Yeah, here? exactly. And the games – that's the thing about the 6-2 and two finish. It's great, and we sit here and completely uh, – not forget, but, I mean, we were 1-7 after losing to a winless team. It was rock bottom. It felt as bad as things have with this team over uh, – a decade-long playoff drought is really bad, and finishing that way uh, kind of made, made us forget about that and really brought a lot of positivity into this year. But uh, the teams they beat, the Giants, Washington, the Raiders, uh, I mean, the Raiders were good at that point. They were point. contenders, but um, But most Steelers. the Bills who were tanking, the Steelers who had zero offense, uh, and the, also beat the Dolphins at home. They weren't really quality We should have lost that game, too. Yeah, they <laughs> absolutely should have lost that yeah, game. that was a bad uh, call. They, they weren't quality wins, and uh, four of them were by one score. Uh, Bill, the Bills game was one score, I think. Yeah, but they, they were not quality wins. So it's as promising as it was, they still have a lot of work to do to actually win seven games again. So uh, I think, like you said, you really want to see not just let's get on by, let's win seven games because we got some close wins. Uh, let's see this offense be really good. Let's feel like Adam Gase and Sam Darnold can be Sean McVay and Jared Goff. Not that they are great last year, but that's what comes to mind though. That's exactly right. what yeah. comes to mind. Yeah. Just that young quarterback coach combo where it's like, you know, there's an identity in place and with enough pieces, you know, because it's not just those two, you need an O-line, you need receivers, you need weapons. Uh, but there's with, with McVay and Goff with a few other duos in the league, uh, Lamar Jackson in Baltimore with Mahomes and Andy Reid. Uh, there are just combos in the league where you feel like, you know. Sean Payton and Drew Brees. Right, exactly. There are just plenty of those tandems in the league where it's like, all right, you'll have down years here and there because talent comes and goes. But you can keep these two guys together for as long as the quarterback can play, as long as the coach can coach. And, you know, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with. And I think that is what you want to see Gase establish with Darnold uh, this season, regardless of the win total. I think that's what's most important. Yeah. All right. Well, so that, I think that's going to do it, Michael Nania. You know, you're, you're like the opposite of Ichiro and Cher. You have to say both of your names <laughs> whenever you're brought up. You are the New York Jets Batman. Matt, NYJ Matt on Twitter has taken the, uh, the liberties of creating a Michael Nania sign whenever he, you know, we need a stat. We, we post the Michael Nania Batman symbol of his oh, yeah. avatar on yeah. Twitter. I, lo- I love that. Whenever I see that, it's my cue to get to work. <laughs> I love how other people took it too. Like I'll see a yes. random account just tweeted. I'm like, there yeah. we go, man. Like, you know, yeah, That's great. But yeah, we appreciate you coming on, man. And uh, we can sit around and chat for a little bit, but yeah, thanks a lot. And we're back. Great, great interview. Michael Nania is one of the guys. If you don't, if you're not following him right now, go follow him because he is the king of Jets Twitter. He he gives all the information, all the facts, and that was awesome to have him on. Michael Nania confirmed great Jet fan. Obviously, it, well, it's funny if you look at someone's work. It's not always so easy to see what kind of fan they actually are. But Michael Nania is a great Jet fan. I would love to talk Jets football with him all day. We touched on some really interesting topics. Uh, he gave his take on 
Bless Austin and George Fant and Chuma Idoga, which I really agree with. I, I liked a lot of things he said. The my favorite question that I asked him was the what what was more disappointing, oh. the twenty eleven Jets or the twenty sixteen Jets? And I think he answered it like exactly how it would have I would have answered it. The twenty sixteen Jets hurt. You built that team, a lot of veterans, last chance, didn't work out, but the twenty eleven Jets Super Bowl contender and didn't make the playoffs and you know, I'm really happy to have my, Michael Nanny on, and it was a really fun conversation. Yeah, that was great. Now, we, we got a DM of an audio clip from – we have no idea who this is. He, he, he's Dave from Brooklyn. So we're going to go ahead and, and play his voicemail now and, and see what that's about. Hey, Broadway Jets, just a couple of tidbits about the week. You know, me, Brooklyn Dave. But uh, is there a bigger drought in Florham Park than, you know, California or whatever? Because apparently no New York Jet is drinking water anymore. Everyone's got a fucking cramp. Everyone's hurt. Hydrate yourself. Get the best fucking water in the whole fucking country. New York and New Jersey. Ba, ba, ba. Best pizza, best bagels. Shout out Luigi's at Asbury Park for a good slice. How you doing? Anyway, um, and then on top of that, everyone's fucking hurt. And we're entertaining the fact of even looking at Kevin White, who's played two quarters in three years. What are we doing? What are we doing? I don't know. Uh, you know, I'll hang up and listen, though. Thanks for having me. Well, that was crazy. <laughs> I love that guy. That guy was electric. Brooklyn Dave. All right. We, we got to get his takes throughout the year. <laughs> that accent is incredible. Oh, he's, my God. He's not All a right. fan of the injury bug that's plaguing the Jets. <laughs> All right. Um, so that was a pretty you know long interview we had with Nania. We're going to wrap it up with the Broadway Jets mailbag and we'll go through some of the questions that you guys had on Twitter. First question from Cali Jets. Would you rather go eight and eight, get the wild card spot, Darnold throws for 4,200 yards, 26 touchdowns, 14 picks, and Gase gets a four year extension or go five and 11, Darnold throws for 3,723 and 15 and Adam Gase gets fired. It's actually an interesting question. Usually, I would immediately say the A and eight, forty-two hundred yards, playoffs. Um, first of all, seventeen playoffs this year, huge. Mm. And you know, I don't think people have been talking about that enough. Secondly, I'm not a fan of you know wanting the Jets to go five and eleven, so Adam Gase gets fired. I think that's literally the opposite of what I believe as a moral human Mm -hmm. Jets fan like as a moral Jets fan it's you have to have morality as a Jets fan it's like deciding you know important things like you have values as a Jets fan oh yeah and it's against my values as a Jets fan to want the Jets to lose the only thing if you told me the Jets go 5 and 11 Donald throws for 37 yards 23 and 15 which is fine and the Jets get Jim Harbaugh then I'm interested if not I'm not going 5-11, and 11, sacrificing a playoff season, sacrificing Darnold breaking the Jets' passing record, mm-hmm. and making the playoffs just so that we could fire Adam Gase and hire some other asshole coordinator. I can't do it. Yeah, no, no it's the yeah, absolute – for me, it was the immediate playoff pick. One, right, it's been a decade. Two, you look at 4,200 yards, all-time, you know, Jets passer. Darnold has a bigger jump than instead of 23-15. and 15. This is prediction, 26 touchdowns, 14 interceptions. You're on the right track, at least an eight and eight playoff year for Gase. Maybe he's he's showing that he's growing as a coach, and you look forward to the big cap and the plethora of draft picks you have. I'm going with the playoffs. Yeah, real quick, people do not understand what 4,200 yards and 26 touchdowns means. They don't understand. I talk about this all the time. I'll give you an example. Deshaun Watson last year had 3,800 yards, 26 touchdowns, 12 picks. If Darnold those were 4,200 yards with 26 touchdowns and 14 picks. It's superstardom. It's done. Like, it's it's blown away. If he goes 3,700 yards, 23 and 15 is, kind of, is pretty much what he was on pace to do last year if he stayed healthy. Mm-hmm. He threw for about 200, 230 yards a game. Changes the whole equation if he throws for 4,200 yards. Done. It, the- he's your, and we know he's our guy, but it, it- – Slams all the doors for people that think to themselves, you know, Darnold needs to really pop and show that he's the quarterback of this team. But yeah, definitely agree on that. Um, Byron has a tweet for us. Why are players dehydrated and how are people people getting injured at camp? I think Brian Poole just went out on a bender. 
went out, got drunk, <laughs> was hungover, and then was like, I don't want to practice the first week. Give me, give me the week off. I'll hydrate and then go ahead and get an IV bag of water. Just... It happened last year. I, I don't even remember it honestly happening last year. I thought maybe he missed you know a little bit of camp, but supposedly the same thing happened last year. You want Pool to be healthy. You want him getting as many reps as possible. But yeah, the injury bug, I, I think it's you know a combination of bad luck and guys coming back early. The Broncos have had a ton of injuries so far, too, at their camp. Handler, second-round pick, receiver, he's out for multiple weeks with a hamstring. So the fact that Mims is only a couple days, it could be a lot worse. Mims will be fine. Last year, the thing with Poole was he wasn't as high-profile as this year. You know, He was in a little bit of an under-the-radar signing. And we, I'm not sure Jets fans understood how much of an impact he would have. Mm. I want to shout out one of my best followers, Chris Anello. Uh, he t- he tweeted that Brian Poole's last name is literally a hole filled with water, <laughs> and he's unable to. Chris is great. Yeah, he he can't. You know, he hasn't been practicing, but he'll be fine, and it's not not really an issue. But it's you know, it's fun to talk about. He yeah. should drink more water. New York Brett, would you sign up? For going 0-16, no. if that means you can trade the number one pick for a haul. Well, actually, but, well, I put this in our group chat from home. I mean, it's yeah. a little bit interesting in the fact that the reason this is an interesting question is that usually the – like, if someone says, oh, would you rather go 0-16 or – the or is usually something, like, different than, you know, you get to trade all these draft picks for a haul. It's a very non-typical question, but still no – yeah, it's just the the thought of us going, right? Looking back, 2019 was an insanely tough year. Going into a 2020 year and waking up every Sunday and losing over and over again and not being able to watch your team play until September of 2021, I couldn't do it. And even if that was trade for a bunch of picks, 0-16 means that Darnold regressed and that he probably isn't the guy in the future, which I can't have in any scenario. I can't so. have it. Is yeah. If you want to get technical, say, oh, the Jets, if they trade for Hall, will have like nine first round picks the next whatever two, whatever. Sam Donald has to be the guy. Yeah, I agree. Has to be. I agree. I am the Josh B. Would you be a New York Jets fan if they relocated to Las Vegas? That's actually a good question because I think about this all the time. It's a little bit. So we are very optimistic Jets fans as we harp on a lot on this show there have been some very tough seasons obviously now at the end of the year you say hey look we got next year like let's do this we'll do this we'll assign some guys we're pumped Mm -hmm. up whatever now what happens when your team moves i can't imagine this scenario very difficult i would say yes i'd still be a jets fan but it has to it has to twist a knife because it's out of your control. You know, you, you, you say, I'm going to stick with my team through thick and thin. And then it's like, if your wife goes and like, fuck some guy in a hotel, <laughs> the team moves to Las Vegas. Uh, yeah. I think in this one, you got to remain with the team. Cause you look around the area. It's like, what are you going to do? You know, I, I will die before I become a giant fan. You know, Eagles from where I'm located in Jersey, isn't that far away. I, for me, you just got to stick with the team. The, the thing is that they move out of like weird circumstances, say they like get rid of Darnold for no reason. They move and do a whole rebuild. I think that opens a lot of doors for other fans to leave. But for me, I, you know, I think I'm, I'm going to stick around. That's a good question though. I never really, you know, considered that. I don't think they moved to Las Vegas. They'd probably move like close, but <laughs> yeah, this is an interesting one. Andy Sukoff. Uh, Andy Sukoff. He, this is, he, this is a recurring tweet too. He came last week. What would the next several seasons have looked like if the Jets didn't trade John Abraham for the pick they drafted Nick Mangold? Whoa. I mean, that's like super butterfly effect. Yeah, yeah, right? It has a lot of layers to it. <laughs> so we wouldn't have Connor McGovern. There's just no way. There's no way that all the things that happened that led up to us having Connor McGovern, if we didn't have Mangold, we wouldn't have McGovern. You know what's funny to me? I, I hate to bring this we up. We would be 16 and 0. There's a. <laughs> There's a Jets account on Instagram back in, I think it was 2016. What was the Wesley Johnson year where he took over for Mangold? Oh, it was like the top 20 players in Wesley Johnson. They had Jones. Wesley no, Johnson as the 11. No, it was 20. Yeah. Who was the center Maybe 2017. All Wait. I'm saying is that I remember a Jets account praising Wesley Johnson, that he was the 11th best player on the roster, which is 
banana land regardless. But when you look at it, if you have John Abraham for the, I mean, the guy was an absolute amazing pass rusher. You could argue besides Calvin Pace, one of the last one the Jets have had that actually made an impact. What would you do? I mean, I don't know how it would change. It's not really hypothetical. It's it's a what would happen. Well, the only the one thing that actually probably did if had you know that was mentioned this year because of the John Abraham trade was the Jamal Adams trade because obviously they're both all pros, similar kind of situation. Uh, so maybe like you know you'd see those articles like, hey, the Jets traded John Abraham in two thousand four. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't trade Jamal Adams. But other than that. Yeah. It's hard to literally define, but I'm, things would be definitely different. Yeah. We have, we have Peen Pio. <laughs> this is it. Remember, I asked for hypotheticals and questions, and all he wrote was McCagnon drank tea. So I don't <laughs> yeah, know if I don't, he's saying, I like, what if McCagnon would have drank tea instead of coffee? The, the McCagnon picture of the coffee on the desk, it's still an all-time photo. You always tweet that, yeah. If he, what, if he drank tea, maybe he would not have traded a fifth-round pick for Brandon Marshall, so I'll, I'll keep it. I'll say it time and time again. I will never talk shit about Mike McCagnon. He re-signed Darrell Rivas. It turned out to be a bad contract. I don't care. I, I wish he would be more you you can praise him in his off-season moves where whether it be trades or free agents. I want you to be able to look back and and the Cadden's draft and say he was a bad draft. His draft history and I always try to defend this no, and it's yeah. not defensible. <laughs> okay. But he did make he's not as bad as people say in general. He's really not. He made the Brandon Marshall trade. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, he hit on a couple picks. Jamal, he, he made the, the same Darnold. Won. He made the same Darnold trade. I mean, oh, mm-hmm. he saved the whole franchise. So he did some very bizarre things. But like, he did a lot of things that fans love. He got Le'Veon Bell. I remember I was sitting up in my fucking bed waiting for the Justice to sign Le'Veon Bell. I'm like, sign the fucking guy. He did it. He did some things that I liked, mm-hmm. and he did a lot of poor things. He didn't build the team obviously correctly. He, I remember again. I wanted the Justice to sign Wilkerson to an extension. They did with Mike McCagnon. These things didn't work out, but I can't sit here and curse him for doing things that I asked him to do, and then he did, and then I'm just an asshole. I agree. He needs to be. A, he, he was a bad drafter, but he did moves that we wanted, and for the most part, early on panned out. We have T Silver one two three. If you can get one player from Jets history and bring him to this team, who would it be? Oh, wow. We want we like Prime well, Revis is it's got to be right. He's the best player in our history. Yeah, Prime Revis is is, is changing your your defense is now immediately still going to be top ten, even when you lose Jamal Adams. I'll, you know, first off, too, I I look at number one receiver, and if you can give me a guy that Darnold has a, a legit threat, like imagine like a prime Keyshawn Johnson being Darnold's like first threat. It's pretty interesting looking back on it. If you give me Brandon Marshall's twenty fifteen season, you put that in this year, I would take that too. It's a pretty good question because if yeah. you can address O-line, you can go receiver, you can go edge, you can go cornerback. So Top top guys that come to mind, Al Toon, mm. who at one point set the Jets' single season receiving mark in terms of catches with 93 in 1988. I mean, this guy, six foot four, glided around the field, and this is in the 1980s, you know, in the Jets – you know, he made a couple of Pro Bowls. He was an All Pro in 1986. Mark Gastineau, of course, or Joe Klecko, but more Gastineau was more of an edge rusher than Klecko was more of an interior pass rusher. And then Brandon Marshall and Darrell Rivas. So those would be kind of the guys. Don Maynard is a little bit dated, if you want a number one receiver. But you know, out of the Jets' positions of need, receiver, cornerback, edge rusher, there's a plethora of guys you can go with. Even though the Jets aren't, you know, known for their uh, their receiving acumen over the, the years. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Bo Oliver, I love this question. In a world that the NFL season In doesn't world. happen, yeah. how would the draft order be determined? So the NFL season doesn't happen. How would they determine the 2021 draft order? I have, they should hire I have, you to solve this problem. Here's how I would do it. I would take the teams last year that went to the NFC and AFC championship game, and they're in one tier. They have to get picks 29 to 32. Then you take the rest of the playoffs teams and then you fill in what it would be 21 to 32. You fill in that gap with, with the 29, 18. whatever. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Then you take top 10 and then 11 through 20. 
and you do them in the tiers and you flip them. So in that scenario, it's terrible for the Jets because they had the 11th pick and they would be in that second tier. But I think that's a way you, you have to do it by tier. You can't do a full random. You can't do, you know, you can't do, you know, the same exact order as this year. I think that would be unfair as well. Yeah. It's a great question. And they have, everyone's telling, I've seen a lot of people say, oh, they're not going to have a draft. You have to have a draft next year because players that don't want to go back to college for their year of eligibility, you can't have them just sign at random to teams. You need to have some sort of draft. And I think the the idea of a draft order is going to be very interesting. But so like four separate lotteries, essentially. It's kind of cool. Exactly. I'm on board. We're having a, year, a season, though, so it won't matter. <laughs> Would you rather go to the playoffs but lose to Seattle and Jamal in Week 14 or go 6-10 and 10 and blow out the Seahawks? Easy, Easy one. answer. Make We're going to the playoffs, but... Joe Heldman, I know you're, you know, probably resentful towards Jamal Adams. Best thing that can happen for the Jets this year, obviously, Seattle loses. You get a higher pick, but for me, my, you know, Jamal Adams not making a Pro Bowl would be pretty damn cool, right? Jamal Adams goes over there. He became, he's still a, like a really good player, but imagine Jamal Adams doesn't make a Pro Bowl and, and he's so slowly, satisfying. That would be a pretty, pretty fun feeling. You know, it doesn't mean he's always going to go somewhere and become an All Pro again. Because looking, Jamal had a very good rookie year. The Jets, obviously, years two and three were phenomenal. But I rewatched 2017, and multiple times throughout that year, Jamal looked overmatched. So you never know. Bring it back to bring it back down to earth a little bit. But yeah, we just need the Seahawks to lose games. <laughs> this, I love this one for you, David Clowney or Stephen Hill as your number one receiver. Uh, this is finally one question. Like I think last week we had a question if we had a Hail Mary between <laughs> Stephen Hill or Salim Hakeem, yeah. like Stephen Hill is an actual receiver and Salim Hakeem was a returner. I would go with Stephen Hill and Stephen Hill for all of the, you know, hatred he gets on just Twitter actually ha- was more productive than a lot of the guys you'll hear about. You know, the guy had 594 yards and four touchdowns with the jets. He started 19 games. I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not defending the guy. He had the mm-hmm. crazy drop against the Patriots, but he was much more productive than David Clowney, who's had, I think he had one regular season touchdown and then the other highlight of his career came in the preseason. So I would definitely go with Stephen Hill. Also size-wise, you know, Stephen Hill's a big dude. 6'4", 215. David Clowney is like 6'1", 190. So. I like it. Yeah. That's it. Episode two is in the books. We have a, another big, big Jets Twitter um, individual coming on for week three. So we'll very excited for this, for next week's interview. It's going to be a lot of fun. And you know, we have a lot of fun stuff planned for next week as well. So with that, put on a little outro and we'll see you guys next week. Pass over the middle in the air, picked off to the end zone. Touchdown, Brian Poole.